As Pastor Stephen read earlier, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. So if you would, please open your Bibles up to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 7 this morning. And I want to begin by letting you know about a little secret of mine. I don't know if too many people know about it. I guess if you come to my house, you would. I like wearing sweatpants. And uh, I like how soft they feel. I like they're nice and roomy and cozy inside. I like wearing them on a warm fall day. How many people can say amen to that? Yeah, all right, there you go. As a child, I wore sweatpants like, to school all the time. Um, and you probably will see me often in sweatpants if you come to my house. In fact, I'm a little jealous of the people who are online right now. They're probably wearing their cozy sweatpants, and so um, a little bit of jealous of them. But as you can see, I'm not wearing sweatpants this morning right now. Uh, some of you would probably be a little, uh, maybe felt awkward, um, uncomfortable if the pastor was wearing sweatpants. Um, and I think most of us, as we grow older, we kind of realize there's a setting to um, wear sweatpants, and there's a sweating not, setting not to wear sweatpants. Uh, we have to, and when we approach others, we have to consider um, our attire and what we look like. My mom taught me this uh, lesson when I was a kid, and I was disappointed. Now I come to my wife to tell me if I can wear my sweatpants or not. The audience is also important when you're approaching people, the setting and the audience. And when I meet a friend, I might say, what's up? Curtis always says, what's up to me? And at first I was like, do I have to tell him what's up? Or I just could say, what's up back? So we just say, what's up? Um, when I go to, before a judge, though, I say, your honor. Uh, my kids say, hey, bro, to one another or to others. Uh, and, but they don't say that to their teacher. They say, Mr. or Mrs. Setting and honor, audience are important when we approach another. And our text this morning is about approaching God. There's an appropriate way to approach God, and there's an inappropriate way to approach God. And though our appearance is uh, less significant, it's not as significant, it is mostly the way that we approach God that really matters. And so we look at Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 7. We're going to see the appropriate way, the appropriate path to approaching God. You're going to see, here's the big idea, you'll see it up on the screen up, screen up there. Uh, the only way, way with the capital W there, to approach God is through an eager ear. We'll see that in verses, half of verse 1 through 3. A sincere mouth, this will be chapter, verses 4 through 6. And a trembling body, this will be verse 7. So the only way to approach God is through an eager ear, a sincere mouth, and a trembling body. So I'm going to read the first sentence of verse 1. It says this, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. So the context of this passage is in the context of going up to the house of God. What's the house of God? It's the temple. It's the place of meeting with God. It's the dwelling place of God. In the Old Testament, God had promised that he would meet with his people there at the Old Testament temple. And the purpose of this first uh, sentence here is not an invitation, uh, it's not an invitation to go to that temple, but it is a warning. It's a warning to watch out, to guard your steps, to consider that there's um, something there that might be dangerous. There is a danger in approaching God in coming before him. And the, the warning is needed because we can often, and some of us can, foolishly approach God and kind of approach him like we're visiting another man or another woman. We can step into his presence of the awesome, holy God and not consider what we're doing. That's the warning to these people back then. The man or woman that is of right mind, of right thinking, understands what they're doing, 
is more like the psalmist David. And this is what he said. He said, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? Psalm 24, 3. He was wondering, should I even go there and can I go there? Can someone go there? He rightly, he rightly approached God with a, an awe and a reverence. David had questioned who could come. And this warning to guard our steps in meeting with God, it's urgent for that reason. And so David, he actually answers his own question. The psalm goes on, Psalm 24, 4. He says, only he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, it's only that person that can go before God's presence. To guard, to think, to consider, to contemplate the approach to God is very important. For it is truly, it's a matter of life and death. I think we've all had that dream, tell me if you have, where you go to school or you go to work and you got your underpants on. You're in your underwear, all right? Maybe everybody has them. All right. Try as you may, you can't hide. The embarrassment's there. You want to hide, you want to get away, there's shame. You're exposed. Thankfully, I've never done that in public, and I've woken up for the dream. Hopefully you have as well. But I want to tell you this. The way we approach God, the way we approach God actually is that way. Earlier, Ben read from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. It was our call to worship. And you're probably going to want to have your Bible, your finger in that verse. We're going to be using it throughout this morning. It's a, it, that, that, those verses are going to be important, an important link to understanding approaching God this morning. We'll refer back to it many times. Hebrews 4, verses 12 through 16. Here's the thing. Hebrews 12, verse 13 says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom he, we must give an account. Everyone stands naked before God. None of us are exempt from approaching God. Some of us delay that approach to God, but either now or in the future we will approach God. And when we approach him, we all wear the same attire. I don't want you to picture it, but we all lack that attire, all right, as the case may be. All of our deeds and thoughts and attitudes and motivations, as we were singing that last song, talking about our motivations and our attitudes, they are plain to him. He sees inside of our heart there is nothing that is hidden from him. Therefore, to approach God, think about this, to approach God is not safe. He has limitless power and authority. He sees all. No one tells him what to do. He does as he pleases. He is the creator. He's the judge. He's the sustainer of all the earth. And no man controls him. Some of you you younger ones right now, uh, maybe older ones, you're reading C.S. Lewis, The Chronicles of Narnia. And the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe has just a perfect setting and explanation of this. Mr. Beaver is talking to Susan. She's never met Aslan before. And so Aslan, she is going before him, and she says to Mr. Beaver, she says, or Mr. Beaver says to Aslan, or, ah, Mr. Beaver says to Susan, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. And she says, oh, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. So going before God is going before the great king. 
And it's not safe. It is important to guard one's steps when seeking to approach God. Now, in particular, I want you to, if you're following along with this Ecclesiastes, it's been, we've been jumping, you know, a month to a month to get there. But think back. The language in this text right here is different than the language we've seen before. Can anybody see what it is? You probably can. It took me a little bit. There are a lot of uses of you and your in this passage, unlike any we've seen so far. It only happens a few times in Ecclesiastes. And this is the preacher's use of second-person prepositions to make a point. This is supposed to be personal to you. We're supposed to personalize these words. We can't read them about someone else. We're supposed to read them about ourselves. We shouldn't read this passage in a detached way because it's actually meant to be read in a personalized way. So here's what it is. It is a call for you to guard your steps when approaching God. That's what this call is for us today. So in that light, let's look at half, the next half of verse 1, for verse, verse 3. The way to approach God is an eager ear. An eager ear. Let me read. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, and net, and, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. Our office, the church office, is two doors up the hill south, uh, Carl, Carl Zeiger's office. And Carl is a wonderful man. If you've met him, I hope you have. He's a great guy. Um, he's, he's been generous towards our church. Um, I really enjoy talking to him. He usually has something very insightful to say when he, when he shares. But for myself, Carl has been hard to get used to. Um, I, I'm actually a little bit uncomfortable around him initially. And it was because he, he intimidated me. He's our, both our landlord and he's really smart. And so when I would talk to him, he has kind of a longer pause when he responds. And so I get kind of nervous and like begin to talk again. And out of discomfort, I usually said something kind of uh, stupid. Um, I think it may be part of his lawyer powers to kind of get you to like confess or something. And so I've realized that I just begin to talk nonsense. I think, though, as I'm getting to know Carl a little bit longer, he really is just listening and learning how to, and saying how to respond in a very reflective way. He's having an eager ear. Many of us are prone, like myself, to speak when we ought to listen. And the problem doesn't only exist when we're approaching people. Remember back to Peter? Um, he had a problem when he approached people often. And one time, Jesus, for the one time in Jesus' earthly ministry, he shined forth who he was, his divinity, his glory. And he was transfigured before Peter. Remember that? And he, his clothes shined forth bright white un, beyond what could be laundered. And Peter, seeing this, he's just flabbergasted, and he says, I just want to you know, say something. And so he says something just kind of, you know, odd. And in a comical way, the Bible says of Peter, it says, he spoke for he did not know what to say. He just spoke. He didn't know what to say. Mark 9, 6. Isn't this like many of us? We're quick to speak when we ought to listen. We are full of words when our words ought to be few. The fact that God is in heaven and we are on earth, verse 2 of this text, ought to limit the verbosity of our words. But we often wrongly 
take the size of God, maybe his perceived distance from where we are, we can't see him, as a license to talk. We reason, oh, God can handle anything I say. God wants me to pray, and we just begin to unload. In verses 1 through 3, we see an exhortation to avoid the way of the unlistening fool. Verse 1 tells us that the one who listens is better than the one who makes a fool's sacrifice. Well, what's a fool's sacrifice? Well, a fool's sacrifice is just giving a sacrifice with actually knowing what God wants, without actually listening to him. God's word defines how we are to worship him. And so when someone just doesn't listen, they just go ahead, they actually, it says in this verse, are committing evil or even sinning because it's contrary to God's word. God has a way he's has set for him to be worshipped. And sadly, the verse says, we can see it, that the fool doesn't even know. He's unaware that he's sinning. In addition, we see that the fool is rash or hasty with his words in verse 2. He's speaking to God, but he's uncontrolled. He has loose lips. He's just rambling. The fool's like a man who dreams after he's just had lots of busyness at work, lots of stress and so on. His dreams just flow. They're vivid. They're on his bed. He's uncontrolled in these things. In the same way, the fool can not help it. His words just come out of his mouth. They run. The preacher, he paints this picture for us of the fool, his sacrifices and his rash words. And he exhorts, here's the key, you, he exhorts you to have an eager ear, to listen and let your words be few. To hold in speaking rashly and hastily before the God of heaven. Today, God has not instructed us to go to the temple, has he? We don't travel to Jerusalem. At least, I don't think most of us do. In biblical history, the temple was only like, was a historical stop on the timeline. The temple was preparatory for something greater. At the appointed time, God sent his own son, Jesus, the Christ. The temple was an insufficient, it was just a piece, only a shadow of something better. And when Jesus came, the better way to approach God was unveiled. Jesus made this very clear about his own life. He was talking to the Pharisees and he said, there's someone among you right now who is greater than the temple. That would have sent them thinking. This is Matthew 12, 6. Jesus himself is the way to enter into the presence of God. He dwelt among us. He tabernacled among his people, that dwelling place of God. And also, what did he call himself? He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And he said, no one comes to the Father but through me, he said in John fourteen six. So today, as a Christian church, we don't go to the temple. We come to Jesus. And we come to Jesus through eager Eager ears, for Jesus is the word of God. Hebrews 1.1 1, 1 says, Long ago, and at many times, in many ways, God spoke to us by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. To listen to the words of Jesus, to listen to the life story of Jesus, is to meet with God. Jesus is the is, is the final word to mankind. He is the revelation of God. The message of his life and his death, his resurrection and his ascension is the eternal good news. It's the gospel that is for us. Jesus is the only way to approach God. Through him, 
we approach God. So, if you or I are to come to meet with God, maybe it be um, in a Bible study that we go to, a home group, could be just our private uh, Bible devotional time, or a church gathering much like this one here, before we speak, we should listen. The importance, the primacy of the message, the gospel, is what we need. There's a time for us to pray, to make petitions, to have requests. There's a time for that, for supplications. But the urgency, the priority, must be eager ears that desire to listen. Consider again with me Hebrews chapter 4, where I told you to put your bookmark. It tells us something about the Word of God in verse 12. The Word of God embodied in Jesus Christ. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Your life and my life are naked. They're bare before God. So to approach God on our own is, I'm going to use the word, perilous. We don't have the clean hands and the pure hearts that David talked about, those who can approach God. But, If you have open ears to Christ, to the word of God, he will transform you. He will reshape you into his image and make you fit to approach God. This is the wonderful transformative work of his word, Jesus' word, in the life of his people. Let me ask you this. Do you want to approach God? Everyone must approach God at some point, but Do you want to approach God? I hope you're like David, the psalmist, who said that he longed for the courts of the Lord. It's a good thing if you long for God. If so, we need Jesus, the living word of God, to dissect our lives. Like that sword of the spirit that divides between joint and marrow, like a surgeon's scalpel changing our lives. You are bare before him. He knows your problems. He knows your struggles. He knows your anxieties. He knows the things that you wrestle with inside. And there's a time to talk to him about those things. And yet, it is better to listen to the good news of Christ, to listen to his word, than to let our mouths ramble about our concerns and anxieties. We need to listen first. It is better to consider the life of Christ and his words than to focus on our own. For every word that we speak about our own life, we should have ten words, thoughts, listening to the life of Christ. I know for myself, this call to listen is important. It's an important message to me right now. This season has offered plenty of opportunities to worry. Relational tensions, irreconcilable differences in opinions, there's decisions to make. And so often, I, in myself, I, I begin to dwell and I stew in my mind. And you could see these voices in mind. You might think I'm crazy. Um, they, and they're not, sometimes they're even out loud to my wife and others. I need to be reminded that God does not need to hear about all my worries. He knows them. I need to hear from him. It is better that I have eager ears than a talkative tongue. Let us come to God's word, to Jesus. We need to hear of Jesus and from Jesus. So let your words be few and let your ears be eager. Now with that foundation, we're going to turn to 
the sincere mouth. This is in verses four through six. For approaching God begins with listening, but it does not mean silence. It does not mean silence. Let me read verses four through six. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Anyone who truly approaches God and listens to his word will respond. An experience with God doesn't lead to neutrality. There's not, it's not a neutral response. We can't remain indifferent for very long in the face of God. The human heart will either um, bow and worship or resist and rebel. Think of the people who approached Jesus during his life. Think back to the Gospels. And when they heard his words and they witnessed the things, his, his actions, the things he did, they didn't remain neutral for very long. They were either with him or they were against him. They were either followed him or they, they chastised him. Ultimately, they either gave their lives to him or they sought to kill him. But, but that, that does not mean that all responses to God are sincere. No, there's a response to God that's worse than no response. It is to pro- approach God, make a vow, and then not keep it, not pay it. And look in verse 5 here. To make a vow and then say, I'll pay you later, or I didn't really mean that. Brothers and sisters, verses 4 through 6 are an appeal for you to have a sincere mouth. How many have promised allegiance to God um, if he provided a job or a husband or a miracle or a healing only to solely forget that commitment? How many have had listened to a sermon and felt and pledged that I'm going to read the scriptures and pray only to say, well, I'll do it tomorrow? How many have experienced the work of grace and forgiveness of Christ and vowed to live for him only to compromise or push back when trials came? Before you make a commitment to God, count the cost. Before you pledge to follow, consider the path that you're taking. Any businessman, he does this when he's going to make a deal or sign a contract. He considers the cost first. If you make a vow to God, then honor it. If you've promised your life to him, then pay it. If you have signed a loan, you're going to pay it back. If you make a pledge to God, there's an obligation to pay it back. And and beyond that, your promise isn't to man. It is to your maker. It is to the sovereign over all. It is to the almighty. A thoughtless vow is an affront to God and a cause for his anger. If you look at verse 6. So, at this point, wasn't my intention, but I've probably convinced you never to vow to God. But, that's not really the way to think about this. That would be the wrong conclusion to make. Those who approach God will respond. And God desires that, our, that we pledge with our lives. That's his desire, that our lives are a pledge to him. Jesus asked his disciples to abandon everything and follow him. Today, he asks you to confess loyalty, loyalty to him and then pay it with your life. 
And today he asks those who have made commitments to him to keep their commitments to him through daily um, dying, denying self, dying to self. So how can you and I, who are fraught with failures, who are naked and exposed when approaching God, pay the vows of our lives? Well, again, let's consider Hebrews chapter 4. Look at verses 14 and 15. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus Christ is greater than the temple. He told us so. Jesus Christ is also the great high priest serving in the temple. And so as the great high priest, he can intercede on your behalf. Jesus is the only way to approach God, for is the only great high priest, he is the only high priest that is able to sympathize with your weaknesses and at the same time be without sin. As the great high priest, Jesus is a model for us. He's not, he's not only a model, but he is at least a model for us. Jesus, what he, in his life, what did he do? Jesus began by listening and learning from God. He had eager ears. And only then did he speak and do all that the Father commanded him. Jesus did every last thing that God had asked of him. Every vow was completed. He had a sincere mouth. Therefore, he is the only and the one and the only great high priest who can approach God on your behalf. Jesus' nakedness doesn't expose shame. It exposes proof of his holiness and purity so he can stand before God. Consequently, you can approach God because Christ Jesus intercedes for you. This is the good news of the gospel. Your failings and your broken promises are covered by him. And, the tra- and his transforming power in your life gives you every power to follow him. The active, living word of God shapes you into a loyal follower of him. So, the exhortation in Ecclesiastes here to keep your vows, and the encouragement from the author of the Hebrews to hold fast your confession, they're both possible through Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the way to approach God and the way to remain faithful to God. Pledging your life to Jesus is, the good, is good, it is good and is a good and right vow. It is worth every cost. It is worth your life. For in losing your life, for in losing your life, what do you do? You save your life now and forever. I don't know how much that you have in your savings account. I don't have access to your 401k. But I can assure you that they are less valuable than Christ. Giving it all up would be worth the price. If you have a friend who's leading you astray, giving up that relationship is worth the cost of following Christ. It is worth the cost. Keep your commitment to, commitments to follow Christ. It is worth every cost. For Jesus said that he who endures to the end will be saved. Count the cost and then come to Jesus. He is the only way to approach God and being in the presence 
of him is the path to God. Being with God is invaluable. It is priceless. It is beyond compare. So, the approach to God, it begins with eager ears and responds with sincere mouths. And finally, the approach to God involves a trembling body. A trembling body. Let's look at verse 7. For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. Ecclesiastes, there's a few great themes in it. But right here in verse 7, we see two of the great themes. The first one is the vanity of life under the sun. And the second one is the importance of man fearing God. The preacher, he began, or he's exposed to us the vanity of approaching God through a fool's sacrifice, through excuses, rash words, insincere vows. And as we can compare this vanity to ourselves, if we really do analyze ourselves as a preacher intended for us, it can be embarrassing to think of the thoughtless words that we use or the broken promises that we have made or our silly justifications or excuses. We have been like the dreamer that's full of word, many words, and we know the vanity of worthless religion, of maybe just playing church versus engaging in worship of God but not living it. But the preacher then also shines this light on, upon the fear of God, a trembling body. The fear of God is the right ordering of man in relationship to God. The fear of God is what man ought to have if he rightly knows God. This morning we've been talking about approaching God through Christ by listening to his words and responding with sincere faithful commitment. But I don't think, if you've been looking at this text, you've missed it. The theme of the fear of God, it saturates, it penetrates this text. A trembling body is the image that we see. Look, verse 1, it told us to guard our steps when approaching God. Verse 2, reminded us that we're on earth and God is in heaven. Verse 4, reminded us of the displeasure that God warns, of God, warns us of God's displeasure. Verse 6, warns us of God's anger. And verse 7, instructed us just directly to fear God. The fear of God is the right ordering of man in relationship to God. And it's elementary, it's elementary to approaching God. On Friday, um, Curtis uh, Sorgan Fry led us on a um, hike, uh, a high school group, up to the Palisades. It's off of Highway 410. Uh, the Palisades, I didn't know what that word meant when I got up there. We were asking the question what it means. But it means a line of hills over, overlooking a, a, a cliff. And this cliff overlooks the highway. Um, it's a steep hike. You can ask Michaela, right? Steep hike. It's a steep hike, but once you get to the top, then it's nice, beautiful views. And as you look over the edge, your stomach kind of churns, your muscles tighten. There is an apprehension because it is a long ways down, hundreds of feet. The rightful response to a cliff is fear. You are in peril for your life. Even more, it is fundamental, it is elementary for a man, for a woman to fear God. It is right. As we said before, the king of all the earth is not safe. There is peril when a man stands before God. What does Proverbs 9.10 say? It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. For without the fear of God, man's world is out of order. 
she's like a traveler without a compass. A woman without the fear of God, she's disoriented. She doesn't know what's happening. But let's pause for a second. The fear of God can be a confusing concept. Let me ask you this. When you think of fear, do you think, of, do you think alone of terror? I think if that's the case, you could be helped by thinking about these things a little bit more. Demons are rightly terrified of God. Can you think of in the Gospels where a demon approached Jesus? They were a bit freaked out. Anyone, person or spirit, who rebels against God should be terrified. But what about Jesus? Did he fear God? I think, yes, he did. Fundamental to Jesus' life was the fear of God. He lived in the fear of God from his childhood. Think about what Luke 2.52 tells us about Jesus as a boy. It said, he increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Since Jesus increased in wisdom, he feared God. For fearing God is the beginning of wisdom. In addition, Jesus' lifelong submission to God's authority showed that Jesus feared God all the days of his life. He followed exactly under submission of his father. So the fear of God, it means terror for some, but it does not mean terror for all. Jesus was not terrified of his father. The same should be true for one who follows in the footsteps of Jesus, who's his follower. They should not fear God, not with terror. They should fear God. But God is, because God is not safe, but he's good. So rather than terror, she should fear God, should fear doing anything that would misrepresent God, anything that would disappoint God. This is the fear that we should have. The child of God does not fear like an abused child ready for the next blow. The child of God fears the Lord like a treasured son wanting to please, afraid to disappoint. Consider again Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus feared the Lord and lived in perfect submission to his Father. He lived his life to please God, to please his Father. And the ultimate act of his fear of God was dying in our place, in your place, in my place. Dying for those who have used rash and hasty words. For those who have offered fool's sacrifices. For those who have broken promises. Jesus is the way to approach God. And those who follow him should fear God like he feared God. For in him, look at this verse, verse of chapter, six, chapter 4, verse 16. They are, called, they are exhorted to enter confidently, boldly to the throne of grace. To enter into the very presence of God, not with terror, but with humility, with submission. For at the throne, what do we find? In Christ there is not judgment, but mercy and help. In time of need, there is not terror, but unimaginable power to help and mercy to forgive. This is, again, good news. Fear the Lord. Tremble before him. It is the way to orient your life correctly. It is elementary to approaching God. 
For the fear of the Lord will propel you, the fear of the Lord will propel you to follow Jesus because he is the only way to approach God. Let's conclude with this. The preacher of Ecclesiastes is concerned that you and I live our lives in a way that when we come to the end, we don't say, that was pointless. Life, my life, it's vanity. The preacher, I think, experienced that vanity of himself to the fullest, and he's trying to help us. The preacher has a special concern for those who are young people here. He has a special concern for you. This book was, in many ways, intended for young people. It's easy when you're young to put off important things until you're later, to think, now is the time to have fun. Later, I'm going to consider adult matters. This air, it's vanity. It's especially problematic when it comes to approaching God, saying, I'll do it later. I'll do it my own way, or I have lots of time. Both young and old, please don't play the fool. The fool does not know that there is an appropriate way to approach God. (laughs) Metaphorically, the fool comes to church in his sweatpants. Casually, sleepily, unchanged, unguarded in speech, uninterested, unprepared. Sorry for anybody who's wearing sweatpants right now. On the contrary, guard your steps. Watch yourself. Now is the time to listen to the word of God. Not tomorrow. Today is the time to live faithfully for Christ. If you're approaching God in your sweatpants, so to speak, then you really don't know God. You don't really know who you're approaching. No one approaches a lion casually, do they? They approach a lion in fear. And God is greater than any lion. Thankfully, the preacher has shown us the way in Christ to approach God. With an eager ear for the word of Christ, with a sincere mouth holding fast to the confession of Christ, and with a trembling body fearing God and letting that point us to Christ. Because of the vanity of life, your body, every one of you, will fail in time. Your ears will not hear as well. Your tongue may get tied. Your teeth will probably become brittle. And your body will shake. But on this Thanksgiving weekend, let us be thankful for this reminder of life's vanity and the hope found in fearing God. For even though our ears may fail, you can still listen eagerly eagerly to the word of Christ. And though your mouth may stutter, Christ will hold you fast. And finally, as your body begins to tremble, know that God is not safe, but he is good. So approach him boldly and confidently, but only in Christ, for he is the way to approach God. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word, how it's penetrating how it speaks to our hearts Lord I pray you would make us people who listen well who take time to listen to your words Lord we speak only after listening and our words are few and ultimately Lord we ask that we be a people who 
live in a live rightly in an understanding of who you are and who we are that you are in heaven God and we are on earth that you are great and mighty and holy and we are but um, men and women dust made by you thank you for Jesus who makes the way for us to approach you thank you Jesus for taking people like us that have made so many mistakes and redeeming us, transforming us through your word and making us able to come boldly to the throne of grace and find mercy in time of need. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.